Um, yes, we are in the book of Haggai, the second chapter of Haggai. And I, I want to say that this is probably one of the most underrated books of uh, the Bible. And that this, it is so rich. It is so rich. And I, I was telling the men, uh, men's Bible study this week that I, I will do no justice to this passage because simply they, we don't have the time to really draw out all the implications that are in this text. And there are very far-reaching implications to this. Uh, scholars debate over what is what, but... Um, I, I'm going to try to scratch the surface a little bit, if you will, today. So bear with me. Um, if you take notes, you want to take notes. You want to underline things. You want to go and go back and look up some things as I'll be making some references to a lot of different things. Amen. So uh, we'll get to it. Verse one, it's written. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Now, we, we typically will skip over these parts. Because it's a date and who cares? It has nothing to do with anything for us today. But this is probably one of the most significant portions of this text and that it just really grounds it and gives us the, the context of what perhaps God is saying to his people and what he's saying to us today. This is the 21st day of the seventh month, the month of Tishri. And so if you know anything about the months or when the Jews celebrate all of their festivals, there are three main festivals in this month. This month begins with the Festival of Trumpets, it followed by the Day of Atonement, and then the Festival of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. So on the first day of this month, the Festival of Trumpets, there would be this trumpeting sound. They would blare the trumpets indicating that they were coming to a close of a season and they were entering into a sacred season. Does that make sense? It was a sounding that they were transitioning to a new time. All the work that they had done throughout the year and all of their agriculture, they were about to gather the harvest and to give glory to God and offer their sacrifices. That was on the first of the month of Tishri. On the 10th of the month would be the Day of Atonement, this day of reckoning. The sins of the people had to be accounted for. The high priest would offer a, a sacrifice, a, a scapegoat for the sins of the people. He would sacrifice one goat and he would speak the sins of the people on another and send it out, have it sent out and released into the forest. And then that was on the 10th. And then on the, the 15th, for eight days or seven, they would be out in tents, this festival of booths. They would make these makeshift tents, uh, booths, out of whatever uh, fine tree limbs they had, uh, palm trees, what have you. And they would make these booths to, to commemorate their time sojourning in the desert for the 40 years. And they would stay there for seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly. And so here we are, the 21st day of the month, the last day of the Festival of Booths, where they are about to enter into this sacred assembly. Do we see that? That, that? that really just paints the context, that really grounds this text into what I see God saying here. And so look, as it, it's written in verse 2 through 3, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, 
to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, asked them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Now, if you uh, are familiar with, uh, I think, the book of Ezra, chapter 3, it talks about this, how when they had completed the foundation of the temple, all of the, the young people that were there that hadn't seen the, the, the temple of Solomon, they rejoiced in that they got the temple foundation laid. Well, the elders, those that had seen the former temple and its glory, they wailed. They, they cried out in, in mourning because they, they re, perhaps they realized that this would never again reach the glory of its day. And there was such an uproar that people couldn't tell the difference between the two. And so this, imagine that this, this, as they're coming, they're about to enter into this sacred day of assembly. The temple is in ruins. They're, they're beginning to work. They haven't gotten much work done. This is about four weeks after chapter one. We finished in chapter one. They haven't done much work because there are all these different uh, Sabbaths doing all these festivals that they would have to observe. And this was a time that they were coming to celebrate the bounty of their harvest. Now, mind you also that they've been in a time of drought. They've been in a time of famine. And on top of that, they're looking at this temple and it's, it's sad. And this is what God is bringing their attention to. And I, I can't help but believe that God is doing this purposefully. It's not coincidental as to the timing of him bringing this and, and pointing them to this. It's as if things are so bad and he's getting them into this posture that they're going to have to depend upon him. They, they, they have this opposition against them from building the temple. The people were saying, no, you can't rebuild. There's all of this famine, all of this drought, all of this uh, hyperinflation. Very little motivation to do anything. And yet he's telling them. He's stirring them. I, I can't help but feel that he's bringing this to their attention so that way they can see that you're going to have to depend on me. You're going to have to trust in me. I can't help but see that he's purposefully doing this. You know, we, it's easy for us to trust in God when, when things are good. When, when things are going our way, when everything is wonderful, when, when we, we are blessed in our, our, our finances, our health, everything in the family is going well, we can cry out, praise God all day. You get a raise, praise God. You, you, the, the stock market goes up, praise God. Your candidate wins, praise God. It's easy to praise God when we're in, uh, on good time. But do we praise him when the times are bad? Do we praise him? Do we give him the glory? Do we trust in him when things aren't going the way we think they should? Do we trust in him when we don't know as we're walking forth if that foot, as it touches down, if it will land on solid ground? This is what faith is made of. When, when things are don't seem that there's going to make it. It's not going to make it. 
There's not going to be a way. We're not going to persevere. I, I can't help but see that God is showing them all of this, all of their depravity, all of their, 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 their the, the woes, all of their, their misfortune, so that they will trust in him. Amen? You know, sometimes situations, they need to get so bad that we just have to, we have no other recourse. We have no other option. There's nothing else to do other than to throw our hands up to God and surrender to him. Sometimes it just has to get so bad. It's written. Verse 4, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Look at what he's saying. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land. I am with you. We, we talked about this. We, we, I think we got a good understanding of this, that when the I am is with you, who can be against you? When I am is with you, what can possibly stand against you? What dare come against you? Amen. Somebody ought to say it. Amen. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Look at what he says here. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. In a little while. The sea and the dry land as well. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with my glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. Look at what he says here. In a little while, I'm going to shake some things up. To, to shake something is to cause it to gyrate, to cause a trembling of sorts, to move it from one place from another. In some instances, this is used to say to, to cause something to leap or to spring out. And God is saying that in a little while, there is nothing that is in existence that will not tremble when I move. All will tremble. All will be displaced. It will be where I say it to be because I own everything. It belongs to me. The gold, the silver, all that you seek, it belongs to me. And I am with you. Amen. Amen. I, I, I know you don't understand how I know you don't understand when or where or how this is going to happen. But understand that this is mine. All this is mine. And when I have my say. That is the final say. There's nothing else for anyone else to say. Because when I say what I say, that is what's going to be said. And that's all there is to say about it. I am Elohim, he says. El Shaddai, Yahweh, Sabiot. This is the Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts, Lord of the heavenly armies. Amen? It's written. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. 
If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with these people in this nation, in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this day, to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on one another in the Lord's temple. We, we talked about this. Consider, he says, give careful thought. Consider the way things used to be, the way you continued on, you're not going to continue that way. What sense does it make to go back and do the same things you did pre-exile, post-exile? There's a reason why God sent them away. And they were falling into the same mess that they were in before he sent them out. And he's saying, consider this. Consider your ways. Think about it. Write it down. Take a picture. Figure it out. Think about it. Don't continue in this way. You're not going to bring what is defiled and think that it's going to sanctify everything else. It causes disruption. You know, we talk about this in the church. We, we sing about it. We, we pray about it. We, we so desire revival. Pray about it. We, we, we want it. We want to experience it. We want to see what that looks like. But the question I think that we must ask ourselves is that if there is something that we are doing that is causing God to hold back revival because we're offering defiled offerings. He's holding back revival to keep us from defiling that which he has consecrated to himself. He's saying, I did this. I struck all the works of your hands. He's saying, consider your ways very carefully as you begin the work on this temple, as you make offerings and sacrifices, consider it. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. A 50% decrease in their wheat production, 60% decrease in their wine production. Could you imagine that today? Could you imagine going to the grocery stores and the shelves are half empty everywhere? <laughs> imagine a 50% decrease in all of our agricultural produce. Total hysteria. In the beginning of this pandemic, people lost their minds because there was no toilet paper. People were hoarding toilet paper. And as a matter of fact, somebody donated a heap of toilet paper to the church. I, I guess in case if somebody just needed toilet paper, we could bless them with some toilet paper. But could you imagine what that would be like if, if, if people, if there was no food? We'd be, there'd be pandemonium here. 
And God is saying, I caused it. I struck all the works of your hands. Blight, mildew, and hail. I, I couldn't imagine how frustrating this was, must have been for the farmers. Blight, you're dealing with excessive heat, scorching sun. And so if you have crops, you're, you're doing everything that you can to remedy the, the excessive heat, to keep the, the soil moist. And after doing that, then to be stricken with mildew, which is caused by excessive moisture. So having to shift gears and, and do the exact opposite to try to keep it dry and to keep it from mildewing. And then after doing all that, to be strucken physically, just strucken with hail. I, my Rev, and I don't know where he gets this from, but at times he'll just slap his head when he gets frustrated. He'll be like, ah, oh, come on already. <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine, but there was somebody there in this agricultural, in the agricultural profession slapping their head, just come on already. No matter what they tried to do, to no avail. God struck all the works of their hands. And even, look at what he says, even after all that, you still didn't turn to me. Even after all that, you still did not turn to me. I can't help but think of the words of Christ as he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, you killer of the prophets, you stone all those that were sent to you. Oh, how I would just have loved to gather all your children under me like a hen does her brood under her wings. But yet you were not willing. Oh, Jerusalem. Is he striking all the works of our hands? Are we trying to mix in what is defiled with what is consecrated? a question. Consider it, he says. Think very carefully, he says. Verse 18, it reads, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Do it. It's an imperative. Give careful thought, he says. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. The I am will bless you. Now, a lot of commentaries and people will look at this and see this as sort of this recipe for a blessing, a benediction. Well, if I do this, if I follow the Lord, if I uh, just do what he's asking me to do, God is going to bless all of my endeavors, all that I seek to do, all the works of my hand. God is going to cause a release and I'm just going to be blessed beyond measure. Everything that I seek to do is going to come to fruition. I will do all things that I want to do because Christ strengthens me. I don't see that. I don't see that. Look at what he's saying here. All the things. And think back to chapter 1 as they were focused on themselves. They were building their fancy houses. Each one retreating to their own desires, to their own situations. Each one concerned with themselves. And so look at what he's saying here. 
all that you put before me, all that you trusted in, all that you thought would bring you prosperity, where is it now? The fig tree, the vine, the pomegranate, the olive tree, it has not borne fruit till this day. All that you put your faith in, all that you would seek to, 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 to ground you, that, to, to provide you stability to this day forth, it has not borne its fruit. But from this day forth, I will bless you. We talked about this, did we not? The blessing is the blesser. We are blessed because we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen? Amen. We are blessed because the Lord rose on high and that we follow him and that he is our Lord. And when those trumpets sound, when we rise again, when we meet him, we will reign with him for all eternity. We are blessed because we have the blesser. And he's saying from this day on, I will bless you. You are not blessed because of your because you reap a harvest. You're not blessed because you have a fancy car. You are not blessed because you have a large home. You are blessed because Jesus Christ, though you don't deserve him, he is living and dwelling inside of you. The blessing is the blesser. Consider it very carefully, he says. Think about it. Write it down. Take a picture. Don't forget it. I am with you. I will bless you. There there are things in our lives that we put before God. There are things in our lives that take precedence over our relationship with Jesus Christ. Things that we look to or default go to when things seem to fall apart, when things become a little shaky, we, we go to these other things before we go to our knees in prayer. Before we lift up our voices to God, there are things that, that come in the way that we look to to provide our stability before we look to God. God is saying, I am with you. I will bless you. From this day forth, consider it. Consider it very carefully, he says. Think about it. Verse 20. Well, let me say this. As I mentioned in the beginning, uh, there's all kinds of things in this. This is a very deep and profound chapter. There are all kinds of um, eschatological implications. Things that are speaking to the end times, the end time affairs, how things are going to transpire. There are a lot of messianic themes in here. Things pointing to the coming of Christ. Things pointing to the perusia, the second coming of Christ. All throughout this text, they, scholars argue and debate over what's what. Um, I can't help but see that uh, this is a very, uh, it is, but even it speaks to us today looking forward to the future. Look at what it says here in verse 20. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. There's that shaking again. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. 
On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, um, when, when I was reading this, when I was studying this, really, I, I, I would read what he's saying, and I just, it, just a, a, a quote from Jesus would just come to mind. All throughout this. And it shouldn't be surprising because Christ is speaking here. This is Yahweh. Yahweh, if you study the Hebrew and, or the Septuagint, you'll see where the New Testament writers, they will look back to the Old Testament and they'll take the name Yahweh, a situation applying to Yahweh, and they translate it as curios in the New Testament and then say that that is Jesus. This is how we develop the doctrine of the Trinity, one of the methods we use. And so I can't help but seeing that this is Jesus speaking here. And look what he's saying, a signet ring. I'll make you my signet ring. That, that, this signet ring, it, it was a symbol of authority of uh, whoever insignia it belonged to. You represented that individual, whether it was a king or a, a kingdom or a, a government or whatever. When one had that insignia, that signet ring, they carried with them the authority and the say-so of whoever it belonged to. And so last week I talked about this when we looked at all these genealogies, how we typically just uh, this one begot that one and what. So that doesn't make any sense. So I ain't, I'm just going to skip over all of it. But we looked at how um, we, we traced Joshua. We looked at how we could trace Joshua all the way back to the high priest Aaron. Aaron. And then we looked at Zerubbabel and how we could trace Zerubbabel all the way back to King David. And so we can look at this and look back and trace Zerubbabel forward all the way to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so when he's saying, I will make you a signet ring, he's speaking of that Davidic lineage. He's, I can't help but see him speaking of Jesus Christ because all this that he's prophesied never came to pass in Zerubbabel's time. He, I can't help but see him pointing to the future, pointing to the, the, the times that will come. The times where in a little while he says, I'm going to cause some shaking. I'm going to disrupt some things. And as there's going to come a time as in this festival, when they blare that trumpet on the f first day of the month of Tishri, indicating that there's a time that's coming to a close, that, that they're about to enter into a sacred time. You, you follow me? When that trumpet sounds that, that all that was done in the past season is coming to a close and, and there is coming a day of atonement. There's coming a day of a sacred assembly. I can't help but think of when that seventh angel sounds that trumpet and that trumpet blares, indicating emphatically that we are entering into a sacred time, that, that there is a day of reckoning to become, a day of atonement to be had. And there will not be any sacrifices made on that day because the sacrifice has already been made.
The price has already been paid, and there's going to be some shaking of things. There's going to be governments that will be moved from there and to there, and there's going to be a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, the kingdoms of this world now belongs to our Lord. I, I can't help but see this speaking to what he's saying in a little while. Don't worry about what you're dealing with now. Don't worry about what you're going through in a little while. I'm going to shake up some things in a little while. I'm going to have my say come Lord almighty in a little while. The trumpets will blare and we will rise all the dead that are in Christ and we will meet him in the sky and proclaim his glory for all of eternity. In a little while, he says, I'm going to cause some stirring, some shaking. That ought to give you reason to praise him. Despite what you're going through, despite what what, what the world has said and what society is proclaiming and all that seems to be going wrong. Know that in a little while, just a little while, God is going to stir some things up. God is going to shake some things. He's going to have his way. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this word. And Lord, I pray, Father, that it not fall on deaf ears, but Lord, that it touch our hearts, Father, and that we stand firm on it and just trust in you as we move forward, Father, putting you first in our heart, putting you first in our lives, Lord, not worrying about what this world would say, who would come against us. Lord, we trust in you. We believe in you. We surrender our lives to you. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus name. Amen.